I'm out here for a little walk talk. Just caught a glimpse of the moon and it's, I don't know if it's full or not, but it's orange. It's a very dark shade of yellow. I wish I had my glasses on so I could see all the texture, but no, it's, it's big. But you know, I've kind of gotten into the mindset lately of not wanting to know if it's the full moon officially or not. Because I'm always interested. I'm always interested in finding out. Like, I don't track it. I'm not one of these people who has a calendar where I track when the full moon's going to be, but... And I don't tend to know which direction it's going, either. Like, when you see the different slivers of the moon and the half moon and all those different sizes, you, uh... Like, some people know which direction it's going. Like, whether it, like, already was full or... It's going to be full soon. I never know anything. But I've kind of embraced that because anytime I hear there's going to be a full moon, I get really confused over the official day. Because like you'll, t you'll hear like, oh, there's going to be a full moon on Friday the 31st, whatever day. And I never know if that means like midnight or in the early morning of the day before that, which is technically that day, but it's the night before. Because, like, you know, when you when you read those uh, those forecasts, they say, oh, at, like, 3.52 a.m., the moon's going to be at its peak. And so I never know, like, which night to look for it. So full moons end up causing me way more stress than, uh, than joy, it seems like. <laughs> no, but I enjoy when they're out. But this one is just, it's certainly orange. It's, you could almost mistake it for a sun. You ever mistaken the moon for a sun? What do I got on my mind here? Not a lot lately. Not a lot. I'm just, I've become just kind of a, an automaton. Speaking of which, I saw They Live the other night. Don't do many movie reviews on here, but I saw the movie They Live finally. For some reason, hadn't seen it. You know, I'm a huge pro wrestling fan growing up, fan of Roddy Piper, but I never saw the movie. When I was a little kid, when I was like five years old, my mom got like some sort of bargain collection of Hulk Hogan movies. We had like three Hulk Hogan movies, movies that he acted in, like just found them or something. Found them at the thrift store, who knows where. But yeah, I never saw They Live until two nights ago. Fun. You know, I understand why people like it. You know, and it, it takes you back to a time... Uh, I mean, you're just not going to experience anything like a movie. You know, you're not going to experience a movie like that at this point. Like, you can make fun of it. You can do all those things people do. But it's nice to see something like that for the first time. And just to be like, yeah, this is old. But it's new to me. And it's an experience I couldn't possibly get from any new movie today. And it's one of those things, too, like 1984, where anybody could watch that and apply it to their own point of view. Like, there's people who could, like, you know, because people see the obvious politics in it. Like, apparently it was influenced by Reagan-era politics. It was kind of an anti-Reagan movie, was the whole point of it, apparently. But you can watch it and, and apply it to what's going on today. You can watch it and apply it to Republicans, Democrats, who's ever in power. 
it's it's like I've said about 1984, where you know, everybody can look at anything. It seems like and be like, it reminds me of 1984. You know, anybody can see that in anything they don't like, basically. Because I think the whole point of that is that it's talking about, and I, I never read it. I never read Orwell's. Orwell's. I never read it. Oh, well. George Orwell. No, but I, you know, I, I obviously through cultural osmosis, I know the gist of it. And I imagine like the greater point of it is that these are just human tendencies. Like this is how humans deal with power. This is how human beings control and manipulate each other and keep each other in line. Like, and of course you can apply that to a million different scenarios throughout history. You can apply that to just about any government. Obviously to different degrees. And you see everybody does have their own... You know, everybody projects their own beliefs onto a book like that. Where a lib watches... Or a, a lib reads 1984 and is like, Oh my god, doesn't this remind you of Trump's felt? Whereas plenty of Republicans read 1984 and are like, oh, this is exactly what the libs and dems are doing. This is exactly what they're doing. And of course you can see it, because everyone does it. Everyone in power, everyone... you know, Not everyone in power, but I think it's like... Government becomes so complex and omnipresent that I think it just ends up playing out that way, one way or the other. Obviously, the technology changes, but the impulse doesn't. The trend doesn't. So they live. You know, you can see it the same way. Like, I've seen... Before I even saw the movie, I've, I've seen memes. 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 Because if you're going to say the word memes, you got to do it really nasally. Like, just a second ago there, I was pretty much making that noise purely through my nose. Memes. But, uh, yeah, so this meme, and, uh, it was, it was like a They Live one, where it's like that famous scene where he gets the sunglasses, and he goes outside, and he puts them on, and when he puts on the sunglasses, he sees the subliminal messaging behind all the billboards, all, every, everything on TV, everything going on, and, and it's really generic, like, cliche stuff, especially by today's standards, like, obey, consume, marry, and reproduce. Which, interestingly, today is kind of the opposite message. Like, marry and, marry and reproduce is like what the powers that be are telling you what not to do. They're like, don't get married. Just have a bunch of frivolous sex with anybody and everybody and then abort your babies. So it was kind of funny watching They Live and seeing, like, marry and reproduce. Uh, but, uh... You know, I've seen where people have, like, made images of that scene where they replace it with whatever they want. Like, funny stuff, political stuff. Um, but it's, it's, it's like 1984, though, where you can project, like, whatever your beliefs are onto that. Like, that's how I felt watching, uh, what's that movie called? Idiocracy. I saw Idiocracy. I don't remember that much about it. 
but I remember like the people I was watching it with. This is probably 2016 that I saw Idiocracy. It was 2016 that I saw Idiocracy. No, but it was probably yeah around then and maybe yeah I don't know but. They were like the people I was with were like, "Oh, doesn't this remind you of like what what's going on now? Like, don't you realize we're living in this?" And kind of commenting on like Trumpsfeld and just everything going on with that. I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I think you can you can see something there, but I think anybody can. I think anybody, no matter what their beliefs are, no matter what they love or hate, can watch Idiocracy and see their enemy." Like, that's just what, that's what this stuff does. Like, you see something that's kind of dystopian, and you have this tendency to be like, oh, well, uh, that's the kind of world that, would, that my enemy would create. My nemesis would create this world. So you watch Idiocracy, and if you're a Democrat, you're like, oh, this is, see, this is, a, this is what the Republicans want. This is the world the Republicans would make if they got their way. Whereas a Republican can watch the same movie. They can watch Idiocracy and say, oh, this is a movie that the Democrats would make. Or sorry, not, not a movie. <laughs> a movie the Democrats would make. No, this, this is the world the Democrats would make if they had enough power. Power. So it's just one of those funny things where you're like, okay, yeah, like, it doesn't matter who you are, like, depending on what your nemesis who your nemesis is, you know, you're, you're going to uh, see them as like the, the responsible party. Like this is their world. And that's what I'm talking about with 1984. It's what I'm talking about with They Live. Where like you're going to watch that and you're going to be like, oh yeah, this is the, the world that my enemy would make if they could. And that's exactly what people do with They Live and, and 1984 and all that. And so, of course, like when you watch Idiocracy, which is obviously a little funnier, but, you know, obviously people are going to do the same thing with that. Hello. But, uh... Hey, kitty. There's a cat here. Hey, kitty. Um, what was I going to say? It's always weird. Like, I still feel weird, like, when people pass me when I'm I, I always lose my train of thought when someone passes me on the street especially especially at night like this like mom and I, I imagine her son were skateboarding and, and I'm just like fuck I'm talking about something weird they don't need to hear it's not even like I'm self-conscious like oh these strangers I don't know are gonna misjudge me it's more like I feel responsible for saying weird things in front of people <laughs> um I don't even think this is that weird, but but anyway, it's like those people just walk by a guy who is like people project whatever their view is on the 1984 and idiocracy and they live like the biggest douchebag in the world. <laughs> Everyone projects their own ideology onto these movies and books. But they do, and I mean, I think that's important to remember because, like, people think they're so clever when they point out these comparisons. Like, someone feels so clever when they're like, living in Obama bin Biden's America, doesn't it kind of remind you of 1984 a little bit? Oh, living in Trump's America. 
It's a lot like living in Idiocracy 1984. That's what I'm going to start saying. Oh, that reminds me of Idiocracy 1984. Oh, did you hear what happened? Did you hear what Obama bin Biden did? It's kind of starting to rock. Don't tell anybody I said this, but it's kind of starting to remind me of Idiocracy 1984. It's kind of starting to remind me of... Uh, they live in Idiocracy 1984. People always feel really clever when they point out those comparisons. And they're not idiots, but it's, it's just that, like, yeah, we know. That's why those things exist. Like, people make movies like that and write books and tell those stories. Because those are just universal stories that I think everyone can relate to at some point. Like, everyone can relate to the idea of people trying to control you and make you, you know, passive and stupid and weak and doing it in all kinds of very organized and deliberate ways. I mean, it's just conspiracy theory. I mean, those, the, the, all those things, like 1984 is kind of like, that's a conspiracy theory in story form. They live, it's a conspiracy theory in movie form. Idiocracy, I don't know if that's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> but, you know what, I'm getting that. But I guess, like, you know, with all that, it's just, it's like, you know, people do feel they're so clever when they make those comparisons, and it's not they're, they're wrong, because, you know, those things were created so you could make those comparisons. You know, those things were created in part, like, not just to tell a story, but to express an observation about human nature. So, uh, of course, you're going to see, like, the, because you experience human nature yourself, of course, you're going to see what they're getting at. But when you're biased, you're going to be like, oh, it reminds me of my enemy. Because I want to get back to that for a second. Uh, this is why I was hesitating in front of the mom and son who were walking by me, because I was about to get into this. And I really didn't want to talk about this in front of them, which is, you know, that's what people see in these stories. Like, that's the, that's the world that my enemy would create. And they have an enemy, you know, whether it's their political, right now it's very political. People see their enemy as like Republicans or whatever, Democrats or Republicans. It's pretty simple right now. We have a very simple system right now. Like the friend and enemy distinction is probably the simplest it's ever been in my lifetime, but it's a horrible simplicity. And uh, it's not, the fact that it's become simplified is actually a really bad thing. And, uh, but, but anyway, like when you have like, and I think you have to have, here's what I'll say too. I think like you have to have some kind of enemy in your life to see things this way. Like you, there has to, if, if you watch like a, a movie like uh, They Live or you read a book like 1984, you have to have an enemy in your head already in order to project that story onto that, onto them. It's why like a Republican can watch the, that movie and be like, oh, this reminds me of my enemy, the Democrats. But if you don't go in with an enemy in mind already, you're just going to kind of watch it as a movie. And, 
you're gonna go, oh yeah, that's something that, oh, it, it is making a, uh, a statement. It is making an observation about human nature. But personally, like when I watch it, I don't, I don't go like, oh, this is about my enemy because I don't really have one. I don't have a, a whole group who I consider my nemesis. But it's part of the attraction of, of watching things, and it's in a lot of the entertainment we consume, where we want to see these dystopian hellscapes and just society, you know, gone crazy. And we want to be able to blame some kind of enemy or nemesis. That's why there's, it's often a bad guy who's responsible. Like, even in fantasy stories, they have this with, like, the, uh, I mean, the Lord of the Rings, like, the, the, the poisoned king or whatever's wrong with him. You know, basically, an evil wizard is, is poisoning the king. And in a lot of different fantasy stories, role-playing games, there's often, like, the cursed kingdom. Like, a spell has been cast on this kingdom, and it is now cursed. And so there's this idea, and someone's responsible. It's not cursed just because it ended up cursed somehow. Like, somebody had to give it the curse. A curse has to be transmitted, I guess. And so that idea is very old, like... It's in fantasy, it's in folklore, it's in mythology. The idea that like somebody is responsible for a curse. And that's kind of what we see in these... I don't know, I keep using the word dystopian, and I don't want to use that in a way that brings to mind like rubble. I'm not talking about like a post-apocalypse, post-nuclear. Like, when I say dystopia, I could just, it could just be a psychological thing. You know, just basically a world you really wouldn't want to live in. That's all it means to me when I use it. I don't want anybody to think of like anything like too specific about what a dystopia is. I think we all have our own sense for that. And it's basically like, oh, a world that you really don't want to live in, where there's no real joy or meaning left. That's dystopian to me. Like you might live in a post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic nuclear desert and make the most of it. You're like, hey, this is kind of fun. I'm foraging, I'm building things, I'm surviving, I'm fighting outlaws, I'm fighting bandits. That might give you a lot of meaning to be in a post-apocalyptic like nuclear desert, but it could be far more dystopian to live in a society that has it relatively good, you know, at least in, you know, in some ways. So it, it could mean anything to you, and I just want to make that clear when I say it. And with, uh, uh, but going back, like we in stories, we typically associate that dystopia with a, a responsible party. Like if it's a fantasy or medieval setting, it's like the evil wizard. He put a spell on this kingdom. He put a spell on the king. With these other movies, it's like, oh, this, this sort of tyrannical government did this under a dictator. They're responsible. It didn't just end up this way. A dictator did this. Which is kind of like casting a spell. I mean, I would say dicta- dictators are uh, psychological spellcasters for sure. 
but uh, you know, we, we like to blame it on somebody, which is, I think, why when we watch those stories or read those stories, we have this strong need to be like, oh, this is what would happen if my enemy got power. And the idea of the nemesis, I mean, it might as well be the devil. I mean, you might as well take that point of view. You might as well watch a movie like that, like They Live, and be like, oh yeah, this is, this is Satan. This is Satan trying to take over the world. 1984. Oh yeah, this is some sort of satanic takeover. Nemesis, enemy, Satan, whatever you want to call it. We're very attracted to that. Like, there aren't many stories where it's just like, bad things were happening and there was no culprit. Bad things were happening and there was no real reason why. Things just kind of declined and the morality of the society kind of started to drop. People stopped getting a sense of meaning. They became disconnected from each other. And no one person did it. No one group did it. Those stories aren't as attractive. The more popular stories are like, there's an evil empire, an evil corporation, a government, a wizard. Somebody is responsible for this. And I think that speaks to us, especially because we do that in our waking life. It's funny, like, just thinking about that, like, blaming people for things. Because I was, earlier tonight, I saw there was a podcast up with Bam Margera. And uh, I've I've known who he is for a very long time. Because my friends were skateboarders when I was growing up. And he released that, uh, the very first video. There was a very first CKY video. It was called Land Speed CKY. And it it was obscure, like, you'd only see it in skate shops. Like, I had quit skateboarding, or it was around the time that I was skating, maybe, but before I quit, probably when I saw this. But, like, we'd go into skate shops, and, like, they'd have this video, and sometimes they'd have it on in the store. And I still remember watching it for the first time in one of these skate shops, and I was like, holy fuck, like, to a 12-year-old boy, this is fucking perfect. Like, I didn't even care about the skateboarding, and there wasn't even that much of that. It was mainly just pranks and screwing around. And uh, it blew my mind at the time. And I would say that actually, it it probably had a pretty big influence on my friends and I in terms of like, our sense of humor and all that. Uh, Yeah, I'm looking at that moon again, it's impressive. I don't know if it's full, but it's impressive. And I, I don't care if it's full or not, it could be. It could be full tomorrow. I don't need to know. I don't need to know if the moon is full. But anyway, Ben Margera, I was listening to this like new interview he did with Steve-O, of all people. And just a, a random tangent on Steve-O that's weird is my friend Robert, as a kid, he's, he's from an American family, but as a kid, they lived in South Africa for a while for some reason. His dad's work, I think. And uh, he, he then lived in England, or I don't know which one came first, but it's like he lived in England for a while, and then he lived in South Africa. 
But it turns out like Steve-O had gone to the same school in England as my friend Robert, but a few years before him, because Steve-O's a little older. And I heard Steve-O talking about that. My friend was aware of it. He didn't know. I mean, I think that's new information. I don't think that's something that like my friend Robert always knew. It wasn't like he went to that school and people knew who Steve-O was. This is something he found out later. But it's like Steve-O was like the prankster. Steve-O was the guy. I mean, obviously, he became a rodeo clown, I think. And then he, you know, obviously, we all know what he did, what he got famous for. So I imagine he was kind of an oddball at school and had a reputation there. And my friend Robert, same thing in a very different way, but the same thing. Like back in like the early 2000s or so, yeah, it must have been like the year 2000, maybe 99. Like my friend Robert was made this like home videotape that he gave to people where he was doing things. Like he eats his own shit just to see what it's like. He had his friend like turn the oven on and like heat up an oven rack and then put it on his back you know just nasty stuff like other things too you know like just basically like i mean you know i mean we all know what that is i mean i i'm the i'm the opposite of that it's like it's like a sideshow sort of thing that's kind of how i see it. it's like oh it's basically a sideshow thing and so i was like that's so weird that he and steve-o went to the same school and both of them were kind of that guy very different. Like, if you knew <laughs> if you knew my friend, like, it sounds silly that I'm comparing him to Steve-O. But they still both became that kind of guy who did, like, daring, dangerous things. Like, who hurt himself physically. And I would say with my friend, it's, it was, it's almost more of a spiritual thing. I don't know if he'd put it that way. But it certainly seems to be. Like, he's always been, like, performatively masochistic and not for any real end it seems to be almost like a spiritual thing for him but i won't go too deep into that it's just weird to me that they both went to the same school in england of all places and then both ended up being those kinds of guys and just as a side story like when, when robert was living in south africa he told me many years ago he told me this there was a store or like a warehouse or something you could go to and you could buy like magazines, newspapers, periodicals from America, but you bought them by the pound. They had a scale. And so you would just go to this warehouse and they'd have like stacks of just, I doubt there was any order to them, but it was just like magazines, newspapers, periodicals from the West. And you just grab a pile and they, and they would weigh it and you'd pay by the pound. I laughed so fucking hard when I heard that. Just imagining buying magazines by the pound. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the reason I'm talking about Steve-O is because he had Bam Margera on, and I don't, I don't f follow Steve-O's podcast or anything. It just got ran, it, it was one of those things that randomly popped up as a recommendation, and I was like, you know what? I'm curious what these guys are up to, because I go way back with them. Like I said, my friends, got into the first land speed cky movie I, I didn't even see the second one in, until years later and uh, but I, I just liked the pranks i liked the pranks the humor the like the screwing around it was a lot of fun and uh, my best friend growing up was just obsessed with bam margera like anytime i hear bam's name i i think of my friend because he went through a phase when he was probably 13 14 
12, 13, around there, where he was just obsessed with him, like wanted to be him. Like we started making our own little videos. You know, we had our own original stuff too in there, but uh, we started making our own little videos of pranks. I mean, that, that was something that we'd already been doing. Like I'd been making prank phone calls for years before we started doing that. Doing just doing lots of goofy little things, but we decided to start putting it on video because my friend got a camcorder And a lot of it was very much derivative of those guys and what they did. We never did anything with it Like what we called it the wrong bros And it was a play on the Wright brothers <laughs> My friend came up with it and like it was so stupid, but awesome I'm sure a million people have used that but you know we're like 13 year olds in 1998 he's like why don't we call ourselves the wrong brothers but you know just that name i mean even though it's a play on the right brothers it sounds very sideshow you know the wrong brothers that sounds like a total sideshow thing but it's funny like there almost is a sideshow element to all this like steve-o being a rodeo clown me talking about my friend's video his old vhs that he made where he's like getting burned and doing gross things like that's that's sideshow stuff like yeah it's not on stage at a literal sideshow but with video being available like young men were basically creating their own sideshows i think that's pretty funny <laughs> i think it's funny that like young men got together and we're like you know what we need we need to make our own form of sideshow Uh, but uh, and like and you'd what's interesting about doing that real quick, like when my friends and I were making these videos, we didn't make a bunch of them. We would just make a plan to meet up after school or on a weekend, and then we would like go to a specific place and do something. We couldn't drive, so it was all stuff we had to walk to. And uh, like one that I did, for example, is there was this toy store in downtown Kirkland called Terry's Toy Box. I never liked the name of it. Terry's Toy Box. And it, I think it was it was like toys for tiny kids. It wasn't it wasn't like action figures or anything cool. It was like baby toys. But it had a reputation. Like I think it had a reputation for having like really rude owners or staff or something. I don't remember what it was, but people didn't like it. Not that this was even the motivation. I think it, this was just motivated by like trying to be mean on videotape. But uh, we got like one of our friends to carry the camcorder behind me, and it filmed me going into Terry's Toy Box, the toy store, and I just like walk right up to the counter as if I'm going to ask a question. Like I remember that like I like put both my hands on the counter in this very like deliberate way. And leaned in and I looked at the lady and I go do you know how much I hate you I hate the way you look I hate the way you talk I just I gotta get out of here I and I said I, I it wasn't even planned like I didn't plan uh, what I said I mean it was funny that's one that I'm particularly proud of like, I almost feel like I was uh, channeling. <laughs> I don't know what I was channeling, but yeah, just like put both my hands on the counter, leaned in, and I was like, hey, do you know how much I hate you? I hate the way you look. I hate the way you talk. I just, I gotta get out of here. I, the I, because that was even like a new thing. Like, that was like saying I, that had just hit the scene at the time, and I don't know where that came from, but 
be things like I got a couple a couple friends like they would jump off things that were really high. Like I remember them climbing. It was a gas station sign. They had a sign. It probably it wasn't huge. I mean, it wasn't massive. But they climbed on st on top of this gas station sign that like you know had the the logo and the gas prices and all that, and they dove off and rolled as they did it. So, so those guys were jumping off high things. I was doing mean things. There was a video of me. I, I remember calling uh, the psychic hotline because we learned on weekends, probably any day of the week, but we would do this on weekends. We learned that we could call some of those infomercial numbers, but specifically the psychic hotline. And the initial number you call is free. The way it works is you call an 800 number and you talk to a, basically like a customer service person. And they go like, how's your day going? And like, I could tell what they were doing though. Like they kind of are giving you a little questionnaire. I think there even was a little questionnaire. So they're kind of getting a feel for your personality, and then obviously they're going to give that to the psychic. Like as much as I believe in you know some kind of psychic phenomena, like you know you could tell what's going on in this situation. Like because I noticed that because we did this a bunch, we we called these numbers a, a ton of times. Because like the first one you would call would be free. You talk to the customer service person, and then they patch. Once you're ready, they patch you over to the psychic. At which point they start charging you. So these initial calls, like we could call in the middle of the night. It could be two in the morning, because that's when these infomercials are running. It could be two in the morning, and we could talk to a human being. Like we weren't going to prank people. You know, we weren't. We weren't going to call like people in our town at two a.m. and prank them. That's not cool. Even as somebody who loved a good prank phone call, I never would have called somebody in the middle of the night. That's like verging. Like at that point, you're verging on... Like, you might as well be a burglar next. You might as well start committing crimes at that point. But, in the, you know... So it'd be like 2 a.m. We'd want to be... We'd be drinking Pepsi all night, and we'd want to goof around. And I don't even know how we discovered it. I guess we just called... But we discovered you could call these numbers, these hotlines, and talk to somebody for free for a little bit. And you could keep them on the line, too. Like, even though they're trying to funnel you over to the psychic, you could talk to these people for a little bit, and they kind of got a kick out of it. Like, they would sometimes realize, I'm sure they, this has probably happened all night, but they would they would realize at some point, that, oh, you were just kind of screwing around, or, or who knows. Because... Um, uh, there was one where I was like doing kind of like a southern, like this really whiny southern accent. And I have no idea what that would have sounded like at 13 years old. Like who knows what I sounded like trying to do like this kind of twangy, whiny voice back then. But I remember like saying like, oh... Like, they said their name was something, and I was like, oh, I had a cat named that. She died. Sweet cat. And like, my friends got a kick out of the part where I'm like, sweet cat. Uh, but, uh, and then, uh, I think it might have been on the same call, because we were videoing it. Like, my friend, he was really inventive. Like, he took, the, he took one phone, and he put the receiver 
next to the video camera. And then he filmed me on another phone talking. So like the receiver was right there. So you could hear both. Really inventive, really creative. But there was one where I remember I used the phrase blue chunks. Like I was talking to this person on the 800 line and I, I said something to the effect of, oh man, like it's been a good day, but I blew some ch I blew chunks, which is you know not my kind of humor. I'm not into gross out humor, but I was just trying to say stupid and outrageous things. And uh, I think, yeah, who knows what I said, but it was probably something like, yeah, oh, today was good, except for earlier when I blew chunks. And uh, the person said, what? The, the customer service person was like, what's up? And I was like, oh, you don't know what blue chunks is? And they were like, no. And I don't know that I explained it. And like the way it sounded, like the way it came across on the phone call was as if like I was saying the color blue, like blue chunks. And so who knows what that person thought. Yeah, that was fun. Like we filmed ourselves doing that. And so it was kind of, you know, what was nice about those things and, and the land speed was this way too. Land speed CKY was like it was just this sort of like assortment of sideshow tricks. This assortment of goofy stuff, like what I would call like soft rebellion. It's not like we videotaped ourselves committing crimes. You know, maybe some of it would be a little questionable, like trespassing. Obviously, prank phone calls are probably were they were they against the law? I guess if somebody feels harassed, maybe. But uh it, it was just, uh, you know, mostly like soft. You know, we were, we were kids. Like there was one I remember where we, we filmed ourselves like taking potted plants and like hitting them with baseball bats, making them shatter. They belonged to my friend. You know, they belonged to his mom or something. So there was like a little bit of destruction, but nothing severe. Telling that lady off for no reason. And what's funny about that story, like going into the toy store and being like, you know how much I hate you? When I was saying it, she was like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, she knew it was a gag, but she had kind of like a hostile look on her face, and like her, her lip was raised, and she was like, oh, oh, is that right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Which, how else do you handle it? You know, how, else, how else are you supposed to handle that? But I got a lot of credit for that one. Because we would go up to strangers all the time and talk to them and film, film us talking to them. But I got a lot of props, I remember, from those guys for just waltzing into the toy store. And there were customers there. You know, there were a bunch of customers there. I mean, like, what I did, it's probably, like, a trace of how it feels to rob a place. Like, like obviously, I've never robbed a place. But, you know, I have to imagine, like, like making a prank video. Because, I mean, I remember, like, I remember having to go, like, am I going to do it? Yeah, I'm going to do it. Like I came up with the idea and I remember like approaching the toy store and the, we had a friend who normally filmed those things and he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to go in the store and have me just tell this lady off. So this other friend who was crazy out of his mind, he was totally willing to hold the camera. And I remember they're like getting that adrenaline. Like, yeah, it's a silly little thing to do. But I still, it takes adrenaline to do that. Like, you're like, oh, I'm going to do something like you're not supposed to do. And the result is going to be unpredictable. 
and you get this spike of adrenaline and i remember like going in and i think i i think we walked like i think we walked around like the perimeter of the store it was a tiny little store but i think we kind of like browsed around like we did like kind of a loop inside the store and then i came up to the counter if i remember right i didn't just go in and immediately put my hands on i like looped around i surveyed the situation but I imagine like like just that was like the like a, like a trace of what it feels like to go into a store and be like, hey, this is a holdup. It's like you need to build up that adrenaline and like you're doing something you're not supposed to do. I was being a nuisance. Here I am trying to compare myself to like an armed robber. Oh yeah, one time as a kid in this teenage prank video, I went into a toy store and told a lady I hated her. I'm almost an armed robber. An armed robber. But seeing this podcast with Bam and Steve, I just had to see it because I knew I, I kind of I didn't follow him really. I I loved that first movie. Like I said, that inspired my friends and I. My friend was obsessed with Bam, but I didn't go on to watch. Like like Jackass was fine. To me, it wasn't quite the same as those that old CKY video, but you know, Jack was just fun. I liked what they were doing. It's like I like what those guys were doing. It's just it's goofy, weird stuff. Just to you know, why don't you know people might as well do that if they can, right? But I didn't follow anything after that. Like I never watched Bam Margera's show in my life. I never followed what he was doing with his career, or what any of the other guys were doing. I know he got super into that goth band, Him. Because my friend who was really into Bam got into Him, too. Like, everybody who was a Bam fan became a Him fan. And I remember, like, people getting into that and being like, oh, you're into some Finnish metal band, and then hearing them. And I don't, I don't even have anything bad to say, because I don't even know what it sounds like. But I remember hearing it and being like, oh, yeah, this isn't the, the kind of thing I'm into. Like, the last thing I remember is him getting into that. And then, like, years later, I would occasionally see almost, like, TMZ-style exposés about him where he had, like, ballooned up to... Big guy. He ballooned up, and he just made videos of himself doing drugs and drinking, like, just completely out of control. And then he was wearing this, like, outfit of rags. And you see where these guys go into their own, like, Marlon Brando mode. And they become the eccentric fat guy, which is a funny thing. Like, they don't just become the eccentric artist. They become, like, the eccentric fat guy, which is kind of funny. Like, Orson Welles a little bit. But uh, I, I just I saw these pictures of Bam, and I was like, oh, wow, he's huge. He ballooned up. He's, he's, a, he's a balloon walking around wearing a cloak of rags, literally. A beanie, too. Like, a beanie and a cloak of rags. The name of my... Uh, Name <laughs> the name of my bar. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start a, a bar, a brewery called a beanie, <laughs> a beanie and a cloak of rags. In order to enter this facility, you must be wearing a beanie and a cloak of rags. But I saw him like that, and I was like, oh yeah, he's gone. You know, he's off the deep end. And then listening to the show with him, interesting because, you know, he, he's been sober, I guess, for a year. And he's talking about how great he feels and all that. And, you know, Steve-O, he's been sober for many years. 
And it was interesting, though, to listen to Bam, because it was... He was talking about how great he feels and how, how good it's been to be in rehab, because he spent a year straight in rehab. But everything he was saying, like, all revolved around other people doing things and him blaming them for them. To the point where it seemed almost fake. It wasn't. But it, it was like a textbook case of what any sort of sobriety program teaches you, which is like, you got to stop shifting the blame onto others because that's the fuel. You know, what, what ends up fueling these demons is, is the blaming others and the resentment. And listen to Bam, like even though he'd been sober for a year and he was saying he'd never felt better, Every single story I noticed seemed to come back to like somebody else doing something that were like, and, and most of those stories too involved him doing something stupid too. Like he was doing something he shouldn't have been doing and like someone called him out on it and that led to this problem. But every single story, like it started with him doing something he shouldn't have been doing. But then he spun it so that, like, somebody else was responsible for the problem that came from it. And it's classic, like, to the point where it's Psych 101 crap. But it was weird to watch this guy talking to his friend. And you could tell steve like, Steve-O's become Dr. Drew all of a sudden. I was like, is this Steve-O or Dr. Drew? But Steve-O picked up on it right away, which was, you know, interesting. He's obviously way more committed. And uh, he, Steve-O just kept saying, like, oh, what I'm hearing is, like... You know, you, you haven't quite taken responsibility yet. You know, it sounds like you're doing well, but like, just listening to it, you're like, this is, this guy is not going to last. Like, this guy, this guy's not, this guy's going to get out of rehab and he's going to fall right back in because he's blaming everybody else. And even when they called attention to that, like, even when Steve O called attention to the fact that he wasn't really taking responsibility and he was still blaming other people for everything. He still kept doing it. And he sounded like, you know, he was slurring. Like, I'm guessing he has brain damage because if he's sober now and he's talking the way he was talking, it was like very slow, like slurred words. I mean, he probably has done brain damage between like all the physical stuff he's done and hardcore substance abuse, like everything under the sun. But yeah, it was weird to listen to that because I was like, oh, this will be interesting. Normally, I wouldn't follow something like that. Normally, I wouldn't listen to Steve-O's podcast. But I saw that, and I was like, "This." I've heard he's had serious issues. And he was a figure. You know, it's, it's weird to think of now, but it's like, there's a little frog. There's a frog on my doorstep. i got to move him. There he goes. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's weird for me to think of now, but it's like, oh, yeah, you know, Bam Margera was a pretty influential figure on my friends and I. You know, maybe, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say I personally was influenced by him that much, but it's like my circle of friends when we were in junior high, that was a big part of things. Because it was also a jewel we had found, like, before Jackass came out, those CKY land speed videos were like this weird jewel. It was like the kind of thing you wanted to see on MTV, but didn't. And so to our group of friends, it was like, oh, we have this secret thing. We have these secret videos that are funnier and, uh, you know, better than anything you're seeing on TV. And uh, it's, you know, and as kids too, as teen, I remember like when that came about, like there was a whole, 
as you would expect from teenagers, a lot of people like, oh, I like I liked those guys before Jackass. I like those guys before they were on Jackass. Jackass. You watching Jackass? So I'm going to call it Jackass. Of course, there are people who, you know, thought that way about it. I probably thought that at one point. That sounds like something I would have thought when I was 13. I liked them better before they were on Jackass. But thinking back, too, about, like, boys making prank videos, because that predates the, that stuff becoming popular. Boys making prank videos goes back way earlier. I mean, there were underground uh, uh, prank phone call tapes going way back. Pretty much as soon as the technology existed, young men were taping their their phone calls. I mean, they would release them. The Jerky Boys were world famous. There was all kinds of underground shit, too. People distributing these prank phone call tapes. I mean, Longmont Potion Castle is a famous one, I know. Um and it's interesting that that's men. I mean, that's that's kind of something I go back to here. I'm talking so much about men and women these days, but, you know, with all the fucking insanity around, I feel like it has to be pointed out. But it's like, that's something I only ever knew men to do. I only ever knew men to make prank videos, prank phone calls. Like, you didn't get prank phone calls from girls. Like, maybe if they had a crush on a guy, they would do something. Like, they would call and, like, not talk. Like, I, there was a girl I knew in high school one time who called from her friend's number and, like, didn't say anything. And I don't know what that was all about, but it was it was a prank. But that's, like, the, that's the, literally the only time I can ever remember a girl I knew pranking anybody. You know, the desire to prank is, is very male. And, and it's also part of the, uh, it's how men bond. It's how they they show trust in each other in a way. Like like I was saying, like when I went in and told that lady off in Terry's toy box, you know how much I hate you? I hate the way you look. I hate the way you talk. I said it in my normal voice, but very serious and stern. Hey, excuse me. Do you know how much I hate you? I hate the way you look. I hate the way you talk. I just, I got to get out of here. I, that's probably about the way I said it, but I tried to sound as natural as possible. But like when I did that and we watched the video and stuff, I earned some points with my friends because it showed that like I was willing to do something totally stupid and harmless, but just that took a certain amount of balls just to go in and do that. Like, they, they did the same thing by, like, jumping off of tall things and landing, like, taking a physical risk. But there was always a kid, though, who proved himself, like, the opposite. Like, there was always that kid who would snitch to his mom. There were just certain kids you learned, like, oh, this kid's going to tell his mom about this. We can't trust this kid. And those kids sucked. Like, those kids really fucking sucked. Like, I think about this one kid in, in uh, elementary school. Somebody got a hold of some porn magazines. And if I remember right, they weren't even magazines. They were just, like, pages torn out of porno magazines. And I still remember one of them, the one I saw, because it said, Fuck stop. 
and I never understood what it meant. And like, I'm thinking about it just now. I haven't thought about it for a while, but it had like a couple on it and they, it wasn't like the, the picture of the couple wasn't sexual. Well, it was sexual, but it wasn't like sex. They weren't having sex in the photo, but it was like a man and a woman. It was like an ad for a porn or something. And it said, fuck, stop. And I never understood it. And just now, like thinking about it, I think it was a play on truck stop. It's taken me 30 years, but I'm just now realizing, oh, it was probably like a a truck stop themed porn and they called it fuck stop. Just now realizing that. But yeah, like somebody had like had torn out like random pages from porns. And actually, I do think there were some playboys there. I do think there were some full magazines, but there were also pages torn out of more hardcore magazines as well. And this kid, Willie, who was just kind of, you know, he was kind of an alpha male. He was like the bad kid. Like one time he spray painted the school and got caught. He lived across the street from the school and he and a friend went over to the school and spray painted it. And they're like 10 years old. You know, they're, they're young. He, uh, he was also like a really amazing athlete. He was just this kind of like, everybody kind of considered him kind of like this wild alpha kid. But, uh, he, uh, what was I going to say about Willie? Oh, Willie, old Willie. He, uh. Oh man, I'm losing track here. My childhood stories are just draining. Oh yeah, well, I, anyway, I think he brought the he brought the magazines, I'm pretty sure. Cuz he was that kind of kid. He was the kid who would like steal the magazines from his brother or his dad. And so I'm pretty sure the porn magazines came from him. And a bunch of us were like stealing glances. Like we weren't sitting around in the woods because our elementary school had woods on the playground and we were allowed in them sometimes. There were three recesses during the day, but we were only allowed in the woods during one recess, which is kind of funny. Like you can only go in the woods one recess per day. But he hid the porn in those woods and kids were like going over and just glancing. Like kids weren't standing around in a circle, like staring at these magazines Word had spread among the boys where the magazines were, and we were all kind of going in little groups and just kind of glancing at them. Well, this little snitch, this little snitch named David, little blonde kid with a, a bowl cut, he's part of like one of these little clusters. He's part of one of these little groups who goes over and steals a glance at the porn. And my friends and I, like, we had already looked. And now we're off doing something else. But what's funny about it is like we went and we got our look. But then we still like watched who else was going over there. Like we kept watch on the porn magazines. Like let's see let's see what else happens here. Well, we watched little David, little blonde David with the bowl cut. We watch him like go look at the magazines. And then he just marches over to the recess teacher. Because they had these really sad, disgusting women who just stood outside with whistles and they wore big coats and they just like walked around and gave you shit. But he, he beelines over to one of the recess, the recess teachers. They weren't teachers. They didn't teach us shit. They were basically just ugly women who were old and pretended like they were security guards on a playground. I remember one of them was nice, but overall they were, it was just this nasty crew of women they were like the sort of women you would expect like to be the, the female goblins from a fantasy story. 
Like if you wonder like, oh, what did the goblins' wives look like at home? It would be our recess teachers. But this kid beelines over to one of them and he snitches right then and there. He saw the magazines and he thought, hmm, I better report this. You know not to trust that kid. Even as a little boy, like even as a kid who's not looking to cause that much trouble, like I wouldn't trust that kid with a prank phone call. You know, you learn that about your fellow boys at a young age. You're like, oh, that kid, he snitched on the porn. I'll never trust that kid. I'll never trust that kid with anything cool. And I liked that kid. That's the thing. It's like I, that he was into sports. He was a nice kid. He was a smart kid. But I learned something about him that day, which is that like, oh, if you have something, if you have some sort of cool contraband that's ultimately harmless, Playboy, a couple pages of porn magazines, if you have something that's like, like harmless contraband, and it's a rite of passage, like you little freaking, I'm not going to use the word I want to use, but it's like, you just experienced a rite of passage, which is a particularly daring boy brought a bunch of porno magazines to school, hid them in the woods, and small groups of boys were coming and going from the stash spot, stealing just a quick glimpse. It's not like we're, all, we're a bunch of like 10-year-olds. Nine, I think we were probably like nine years old. It was, we were really young at this point. We were probably a bunch of nine-year-olds. It's not like we're over there jacking off. Oh, look at those. Like I could, I could see if there's a, a nine-year-old boy circle jerk, and there's a phrase I want taken out of context, but you know, if, if there's a bunch of nine-year-old boys like jacking off to porn magazines in the woods, that's a problem. But boys going in small groups, which is smart. Like it's interesting that we did it in small groups. We just intuitively did that too. Like each little group of friends would go over and look at them and then, and then like pass word along to the next group of boys and go over and look. But it's like for it to snitch on that, I'll never trust that kid with anything. And you learn that about some kids. Like there was a kid where, uh, like in third, well, I'll give my own story. There was one time in third grade when this group of kids that I didn't even know made fun of me. I was never bullied. I, like all of the all of the animosity I experienced growing up was with my friends. Not because we weren't actually friends, but because you spar with your friends. You push boundaries with your friends. And if you push too far and like the friendship's over, well, you learn something there. So like being a boy at least, like part of the experience of growing up means you and your friends are going to not just give each other shit in a joking way, but you're going to do things that legitimately piss each other off. And you might be mad at each other for a while. But the bond of friendship is strong enough that you get through that and you learn how to spar. You learn how to joke around. You learn how to take shit and you learn how to give shit. And it's not that hard to deal with, but you have to go through that process. And that's why I feel so bad for boys who don't have good friends. Because it's, I mean, trust me, like there were times where I was so fucking mad at my good friends and they were so mad at me. But it was good because you got to experience what that's like. Like you, you learn what it's like to dish and take, you know, and, and, and how to do it in a fun way too. 
So like boys who don't have friends, I'm like, fuck, they're missing out on that. They don't know how to deal with that. And that's, that'll stay with you your entire life. Thin skin stays with people their entire lives. And you, I can smell it. I can smell it. No, it's true though. Like I, I can smell thin skin from a mile away. It's a very weak smell, but it's a smell. And, uh, you know, boys need friends for that reason. Even though having friends can be frustrating. And like, this is true for everybody I know. Everybody I know who had close friends growing up fought with their friends a lot. And uh, you learn, though, like from that, like, like okay, what I was going to say is like one time in third grade, like these kids I didn't even really know. And I didn't respect them either. It was like this little tiny short girl who dressed like a boy. She was known as like the, the Tom girl. And she's, she later became a lesbian, of course. It was her and like this little twerp. They called me fat. I was coming back from recess and they were like sitting there and they, they called me fat and I was upset. I didn't cry, but I was pissed. But I remember feeling more, it wasn't calling me fat that hurt my feelings or anything. What pissed me off about it was that they thought that they could get away with that. Like it was like, oh, they think that they can insult me. Maybe that's my ego or my pride or something, but it's probably a good thing. Because instead of being like, oh my God, I'm fat. Oh my God. My my response was more just like, I'm pissed that they think that they can disrespect me at all. And despite being fat for my entire uh, childhood, I don't feel like, I, like occasionally it would come up. But it was usually a last resort, and it didn't really, I don't know, I wasn't, I wasn't like mercilessly bullied for it. But I think part of that is having an attitude of being like, you're not going to disrespect me. And that's how I felt when these two kids called me fat. Like, I was like, you're, you don't have the stature to insult me. But I did tell my mom about it after school. I was in third grade. Yeah, I was in third grade. And I remember that I just told my mom about it because I was pissed about it. You know, like I said, I wasn't crying. I wasn't whining about it. But I was like, oh, these kids called me fat today and I'm really mad. These kids called me fat today and I'm really mad. I was 30 years old when I said that. No, but uh, this kid called me fat and I was really mad. My, my mom, though, went into mom mode and she's like, you're not fat. You know, oh, you're, you're not fat. Those kids, she said like whatever a mom feels the need to say if, if they think that your kid is upset. And I remember like cringing inside though, where I was like, oh shit, this isn't what I want. I, I don't want my mom to be babying me over this. So I learned a lesson that day where I was like, oh yeah, I don't need to tell my mom about every little thing like that that happens. I don't need to tell my mom, like, every time I get into a dispute with somebody, I don't need to tell her, like, especially, like, things my friends and I do, like pranks. Like, you definitely don't need to tell your mom about pranks. You definitely don't tell your mom when you found porn. But, it, you know, the reason I bring up, like, me telling my mom when these, in third grade when these kids called me fat... 
is because like I had friends do that with their parents. Like there were there was more than one time where like because of some like offhand comment at school, my mom gets a phone call that night from like my friend's mom and is like, Oh, Eric said this today. Eric said this today. And he's and and then uh, really upset. Didn't happen a lot, but it happened more than once. And I learned something about that kid that day. Because kids said all kinds of mean shit to me. My friends would say all kinds of mean shit to me. And I would never tell my mom. And I would say mean shit to them. And they would never tell their moms. So when one of them fucking does tell his mom. You're like. You're not cool. You don't deserve to be part of. You know. You don't. You don't. You don't deserve to be part of our group of friends. I never remember. I, I never remember like not being friends with somebody because they were that kind of kid, but you just knew it about them. Like, I know that in if push comes to shove, that you'll snitch. I mean, there was, there was a situation I probably talked about on here, which comes full circle back to making prank videos. Because w- during the peak of our prank videos, there was a day, it was a half day. And so our junior high, like, it was just up the hill from the elementary school we had gone to. And our plan after school, we're like, oh, we have a half day. So we're going to like walk home from school, go to my friend's house, grab the camera, and then spend the whole day goofing off and filming it. So on the way to my friend's house, we pass through the elementary school, which does not have a half day. Does not have a half day. And so there's all these kids outside at recess. And so we're just walking through. And kids start swarming us because you're not supposed to be there. Like if you're not, if you don't go to the school or work at the elementary school, you're not supposed to just like walk onto the property at recess with all the kids there. But we were kids too. I mean, we're like 12 or 13. We're not older than 14. So we're kids. But all the kids start swarming us. And as they start swarming us, they're asking us questions. They're like, what are you doing here? Like some of them know one of my friends because his little brother went to that school. And they're like, oh, you're, you're Matt's brother. And then like two of my friends, they just start muttering to the kids, go away. I'll kill you. Go away. And you know, my, fr- my friends weren't like antisocial personalities. One of them was. But one of the guys, the main one who was saying this shit, you know, he, he wasn't a dangerous kid. Like he wasn't a, a, a dark kid. He probably just thought it would be funny to tell these little kids to fuck off. Like, fuck off. Get away. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. But it is post-Columbine. That's important. We completely forgot about it. We went and got the camera. We went downtown. This might even be the day I recorded the, do you know how much I hate you? At the toy box. At Terry's toy box. This is probably even the same day. And we do all sorts of shit all day. It was the most productive day of filming we ever had. We're happy. We're excited. We feel like we did something. We had fun. At the end of the day, we go back to my friend's house. And his mom is there and she goes, oh my God. I just got a phone call from so-and-so, the principal of the elementary school. 
She said you guys were at the school at recess telling little kids you were going to kill them. We were shocked. Like, we thought she was going to say, oh, we heard that you were downtown pranking people. Someone saw you downtown, you know, climbing on things and, like, telling people off and doing things you shouldn't. The last thing on our minds is that we were going to get in trouble for what happened at the elementary school. But one of these little kids ran to the recess teacher and said, hey, those guys said they're going to kill us. And we're like, fuck. And we find out that we have to go to the, to the assistant principal of our school, who's a mean-ass black lady. Mean. And she brings us, it was four of us, and she brings us in in twos, which is very interesting. And it was strategic. Because they knew the two guys who did it. They knew which two of us were the ones who said, I'll kill you. Get away from me. Get out of here. I'll kill you. They knew which one said that. It was not me. It was not this other kid who had the camera. It was two friends. And they called them in together. And then they called me and, and the cameraman in together. They did that because they thought they could crack me and the other kid. Like, I had decent grades. They knew the other kid, the cameraman, was a good kid. He didn't get in trouble ever. Whereas the other two friends of ours, one of them was always in trouble. Suspended, detention, barely got through, barely passed any classes. And then the other friend got in a little bit of trouble here and there. But they specifically separated us. Because I, I, I did things that could get me in trouble, but I always did whatever I could to not get caught. Not getting caught was really important to me. Like one of those friends, Andre, who's now a multiple felon who had to leave the United States. And he lives in Canada because he has dual citizenship. Insane person. He was the most daring prankster I've ever met. But a daring prankster at age 13 graduates to becoming like a daring criminal and freak, you know, when he's 18. But anyway, like, he was the kind of kid who he did, he did bad shit all day long and didn't care if he got caught. It made no, it, it was crazy. It made no difference to him if he got a detention or suspended. It just, it didn't matter in the least. And he came from a good family and everything. His brother went to a good college. He's a good guy. His parents were born in Ireland, and they're just very mild-mannered. They're just very quiet people. But he had all kinds of mental issues and uh, didn't care at all. Like, the only kid that I ever remember knowing who truly didn't care what trouble he got into, he didn't care about the repercussions at all. I did. Like, I like to do things that were bad. I like to do pranks. I like to break the rules. But I always like to break them in a way where I know I'm not going to have to get, where I know I'm not going to face any repercussions. Of course, sometimes you do, but I'm going to try whatever, my best to not. So, like, the assistant principal, this mean-ass black lady, brings us in in two groups of two. 
she obviously thinks she can crack me and the cameraman. The cameraman. But before we go in there, I don't know if we said anything to each other, but I decided like I'm not going to wrap my fucking friends up. No matter what she says, I'm not going to tell her who said it. And so she lays it out for us and she's like, So I heard that you guys walked through the elementary school last Friday. And what we were told is that while you were walking, two of you told kids you were going to kill them. And I'm just sitting there stone-faced. And the kid I'm with, I liked him, but let me just say he was a pussy. He was a pussy. This kid was a pussy. I saw him cry many times over the years. I saw him cry at my friend's birthday party in a restaurant. I should tell that story on here. I got the best stories from when I was 10 years old. <laughs> all, my, all, the best story, all the best stories I have are like disputes between 10-year-old boys. Uh, but uh, anyway, this kid, he's a pussy. So I'm actually really glad he's in the room with me and not by himself because I decided like I decided to, to just say straight up. I was like before she even finished telling the story, I said, I don't I, I didn't hear it. I don't know who said it. She's like, do you do either of you know who said it? Do either of you know who said like I'm going to kill you to these kids? And what's so stupid is like the way it sounded it was almost like a like a made for TV movie about Columbine, like where it's like they imagine this like cruel, angry teenager being like, I'm gonna kill you. When the reality was it was like the most offhanded like my friends weren't, like I said, dark kids in that way. They literally were just it, it was like they were saying, bug off. They're like, go away, bug off. I'm gonna kill you, go away. If you don't go away, I'm gonna kill you. It was like on that level. I think that's a good way of saying it. Like, if you don't go away, I'm going to kill you. Get out of here. It wasn't like going around the playground, like staring at kids going, I'm going to kill you. Yes, you. I'm going to kill you. Yes, you. It, nothing even remotely like that. But like, you know, you can see where like the theater, the theater of people's minds, who knows what everybody was visualizing based on the story. Like when the, when those little kids went and told on us, who knows what those adults are imagining? Who knows what that assistant principal was imagining? When the reality is, it was it was pretty much just a more harsh way of saying "bug off." But she but she brings it up. She's like, you know, she's like, "Do either of you know who said it?" And I said, like, I didn't hear it. I don't know who said it. I I just I, I knew that I had to be the first one to speak up. Because this kid next to me, I loved him at the time. He was a fun kid. He was a nice kid, but he was a pussy. He was a kid who told his mom things. But he had an opportunity to be a man in this instance, and he did man up. I know that he was shaking in his boots, but I said, I don't know. And then she turned to him and she said, do you know? And he said, I don't know. And she said, okay. Let me tell you this, because if I found out who the one was who said, I'm going to kill you to those kids, they'd be expelled right right now. Like if I find out who did it, 
we're going to expel them. And I could feel the kid next to me, like it was as if like a gust of wind just knocked him off his feet. Like I could, I could feel, cause I mean, it was it, like, we didn't expect that. Like we didn't expect her to bring up expulsion. And in that moment, if I had given the wrong answer, two of my best friends at the time would have been expelled for something that was harmless. Like these weren't school shooters in the making hatching a plot. We cut through the elementary school when they were at recess. We, I guess, probably shouldn't have done that. You're not supposed to. We were alumni, though. We were alumni of that elementary school. Who says we can't walk through the fields at recess? But, uh, you know, like, like it was just a totally harmless offhand comment, like, to the point where we'd totally forgotten about that when we got home. And, and when my friend's mom was like, I just got off the phone. I can't believe what you guys did. And, she, and when she told us it was that, we all were like, we turned to each other. We were like, what? That's what we're getting in trouble for? But when this lady, you know, she threatened expulsion, like, and then like, sure. And then interestingly, it was fun because like I, I get out of the meeting with the assistant principal and it's like I, I breathe a sigh of relief because it's like, fuck, I, like I not only did I not rat and I stood by my friends, but it's like we're not going to get in trouble because nobody's going to rat now. Nobody's getting in trouble. Beautiful. But then I run into one of my friends who was one of the culprits. Like I run into my friend in the hallway. Like he knew we were going to that meeting at that time. And he asked to go to the bathroom so that he could be in the hallway like afterward. I, it, like, cause I mean, he was, he knew he had gotten called in first and probably told the same thing. Like if I find out who did it, I'll expel them. And so like he met me in the hallway after I got out and he, and he whispered, what'd you say? What'd you say? And I was like, we both said we didn't know. And he was like, phew. It was interesting though, because I mean, in that moment, like if they if they had called us all in individually, like their their plan actually backfired, because I think their plan was to bring in what they thought were the two bad kids, and they're of course not going to flip. They're not going to rat on themselves. And then they brought in what they thought were the two good kids. And I was more of an Eddie Haskell. Like not, not to the, you know, not to the full Eddie Haskell level where like I didn't kiss my friend's parents' asses, but like kids I knew growing up, like their parents thought that I was like a good kid who got good grades, didn't speak out of turn, but behind closed doors, I was more than happy to get into shit. I just, once again, it goes back to me, like not wanting to get caught. Like it was important for me that like, if I'm going to break rules and fuck around and do goofy things and pranks and that kind of thing, like it's important to me to like take precaution. And as a result, like friends, parents, like thought I was more wholesome than I was. And so I guess the school thought that too. And like, they're like, oh, we'll bring in the two good kids and crack them. But no fucking way are you going to crack me. And so their plan backfired because, like, I strengthened the kid with me. Like, he was a pussy who would have cracked by himself. But because I was there, 
I was like, no, we don't know anything, ma'am. Please let us know if you find out who did this. <laughs> See, if I was a real Eddie Haskell, I would have said to the assistant principal, oh, that's so terrible. Please keep us updated and let us know when you find the guys who did this. That's how you'd know I was a fucking sociopath. But no, if they had brought us in individually, I guarantee you the cameraman would have flipped. He would have ratted, the, he would have ratted my other friends out. They would have been expelled. Their lives would be different for the rest of their lives. Like if my best friend had been expelled for that, his life would be so much fucking different. My life would be different. His family would be different. They were a reputable family in the community. If he was expelled for threatening to kill somebody, like that would have changed his life completely. And they might that might have happened if they called us in individually because their plan backfired. But in my experience, like some boys do that, but there is sort of a, a code and it's not really taught. Like, I don't think boys teach each other. Don't snitch on each other for stupid shit. I think it's just kind of learned. You just kind of pick up on the fact that like being part of a group of friends, like I've, I, I know I've talked about this before because I told the story about the kid who uh, we were in the school play and we, we did Greece. We did the play Greece, And I, I was just a little pipsqueak. I was like 13 years old and all of the, like the lead roles were played by ninth graders who were like 15. But me and a few of my friends got to be greasers. And I was just some greaser. I, I was a T-bird, like part of the greaser gang. But I was just some character. Like my character wasn't even in the movie. He's just some T-bird named Bobby. Like he might be in the movie, but like he's one of those background guys who doesn't say anything. But in the play, I had like three lines. And... Uh, there was this other kid, though, who was it was another little pipsqueak who played a greaser. And, uh, well, I'll get to him in a second. One of the ninth graders, like, he played, I think, Duty. I'm getting some of my T-Birds mixed up, but I think he played Duty. Because there's one of the T-Birds, he likes to go mooning. He, he's a prankster. Once again, it's the fucking guys in the story. The pink ladies don't go out and moon people. It's the T-Birds who go around mooning people. Groups of young men do that. That's why it makes sense in Greece. That's why my friends and I did that shit. Young men have a need to prank. But there's this really fucking bad song in Greece, like mooning, like mooning, something like that. And the guy who's playing that character who sings that, he gets all the boys together. Because we had play practice every day. Like, I played sports and stuff, but, like, I think being in that play that year was the most intensive extracurricular thing I ever did. Like, we would have to spend hours at the school almost every night rehearsing. It was crazy, actually. I'm glad I did it, but I only did it that one year, but it's fucking crazy. And we'd, we'd take breaks, and, like, the boys would go off and, like, talk in a circle and, like, shoot the shit. And one time, like, the guy who plays the mooner... I think Duty is the name. I think, I don't know, there's another character too. I'm forgetting his name. But he brings all the T-Birds the together in a huddle and he's like, hey guys, when we do the actual 
play in the theater. Let's actually moon the crowd. Because there's a part of the song where like all the T-Birds like turn and like pretend to moon. At least like the way we were doing it is like we turn and like we sort of like stick our asses out, which is really stupid. But we sort of like stick our asses out and like almost as if we're mooning, but we don't pull our pants down. But the guy who played that role, he brought us all together. He goes, on the day of the actual play, when we perform for the crowd, let's actually pull our pants down, which is kind of full circle. Like it's a story about a bunch of boys going around mooning to prank people. And here, one of the actors playing one of these characters is like, let's actually prank people. Well, guess what? One of the fucking kids, and he was a friend of mine, not a good friend, but he was a friend of mine over the years. I already knew he was a snitch. There were numerous instances where he told his mom things. He tells his mom about this plan. And and trust me, I didn't want to do it. I was a fat kid. The last thing I want to do is pull my pants down on stage. I didn't want to do it. But I was like, hey, I'm one of the guys. I'm one of the T-Birds. If we're if they're all going to moon, I got to do something. <laughs> I got if they're all going to moon, I've got to do something. It's true though. Like I felt like, well, I'm part of the group. What am I going to do? Well, I didn't have to do it cuz this fucking kid goes and he tells his mom, "Oh, on the day of the play, they want to actually moon the crowd. And his mom goes to the theater director, the, our director, and he tells her, she calls us into the, the music room, which is like this little room with a piano. And, and she was Australian, really hot. You know, like kind of hot. She was like very dark, like she was white, but she was like this like almost like Mediterranean looking Australian woman. And she talked in a really thick, like a stereotypical Australian accent. And she's like, what's this I hear about mooning? What's this I hear about mooning? It's not, it's not an Australian accent. <laughs> I don't know what that is. What's this I hear about mooning? And she was like, you guys cannot do this. She's like, on the day, if you guys do that, you will be suspended from school. Anybody who moons the crowd on the day of the performance will be suspended from school. But... The guy who came up with the idea, he raises his hand and he goes, well, what if we get those fake butts from ha- from a Halloween store? Like Halloween stores sell those like fake plastic butts. They're like, they're super cheap. They're like thin plastic. And you, there's like a, there's like twine around them. So you can put them around your waist and walk around with this ass. Walk around with this ass. You walk around with this ass. Um, so he suggested that. So he wasn't really, what's funny about that is like, even though he had just been told, if you actually moon the crowd, you will be suspended. And then his mind goes, he's looking for a loophole. And he's like, well, what if we get those fake butts from a Halloween store? And she's like, no. And he said, why not? And she was like, well, cause in case somebody's grandma, in case somebody's grandma, He's in the back row. In case somebody's grandma is in the back row and she can't see, she'll think it's a real butt. That's what she said. She said, in case somebody's grandma is in the back row of the theater and can't see, like she's going to just think that you're actually showing your ass. Which is a really, like, like that's an interesting, uh, like she came up with that on the fly. 
Like everybody came up with all this on the fly. Like this is why life rules like and used to be better. Because <laughs> uh, like you'd be in this meeting where you and a bunch of boys are getting in trouble because one kid snitched to his mom that you're all planning to moon the crowd during a performance of Grease. We're now crowded in this room being told that we will get in serious trouble if we moon the crowd. This light bulb appears above the boy's head and he says, what if we get fake butts from the Halloween store? Then the Australian director has like a ready-to-go response where she's like, no, because somebody's old grandma in the back row is going to look at that and think it's a real butt. Like that's like – that's improv. Like we might have been rehearsing for this play, but like that's amazing improv, human improv right there. But this kid who snitched, like that was my point, is like – there were numerous things like that that happened where he went to his mom about this or that. I told this story before because he snitched twice during the play. The other time was like when we were rehearsing, when we were doing our final rehearsals, our dress rehearsals, they set up two music rooms as, as the boys and girls changing rooms. They didn't think about the fact that there was this little office connecting those two rooms and that office had big glass windows on each side that weren't covered up. So if you were in the boys' dressing room and you walked over to that office that connected the two rooms, you could just see right into the girls' dressing room. So sure enough, a boy realized that. One of the boys goes, guys, and we're young. You know, we're like 13 to 15 years old. He goes, guys. We can see in the girl's dressing room. And I remember looking through the window and seeing this ninth grade girl in her bra, in her bra. I saw this ninth grade girl in her bra. We, I, didn't, there was, I didn't see any nudity. And if you know me, you know I, didn't, I wasn't looking for that. I'm way more happy to see a woman in a bra than nude. Just my taste. But we were all like, holy shit, like we literally, it was like you couldn't script that. That's like from a movie or something. Like we have a perfect view into the girl's dressing room, but we were very careful. Like we all, it was kind of like the playboy in the woods where we all kind of took turns like running over and glancing. I think I only got one look because I mean, I sensed the trouble. Like I sensed that, oh, this could be a big fucking problem if they turn around. And But what's funny about it, the girls didn't notice. The boy, like a boy, a boy noticed that we could see the girls changing and rallied all of us over like, hey, guys, come get a look at this. The girls had no idea. Like we could see them in there and they were just like talking, changing their clothes, totally oblivious of the fact that they could just see into the boys dressing room. But guess what? That same kid who snitched about the mooning went to his mom that night and said, oh, hey. In the boys' dressing room, you can see through this window into the girls' dressing room. So that's over. And this is not the same kid who, who snitched about the Playboys a few years earlier. Different kids. Similar mindset. Those two kids have a similar philosophy. The kid who snitched about the mooning and the view into the girl's dressing room though is the kid that I've taught I know I've talked about him on here because he and I were at a birthday party and I I'll, I'll retell this story a million times even if I probably told it a month ago I'll retell it he and I were at a birthday party playing paintball 
and we were on the same team and we got cornered. Our entire team got wiped out by the enemy, the nemesis. So he and I were stuck in this corner behind a, kind of like a, a corner piece of a wall. We just had this like this barricade basically. And there was way more of the other team left. We were the last two surviving members of our paintball team. The, practically the whole other team was left. There was, a, there was a thousand of them. Really though, I'd say there were at least five or six of them left, two of us. And so they just had us cornered and they're just sitting there like, we can't even peep our heads around the corner without getting shot by five people. And so like, we'd like stick our guns around the corner and just fire blindly because there's no way. Because the second we stick our heads out, we're, we're dead. And, and it might hurt because I mean, paintballs hurt as it is. But like, if you get hit by five guns at once, that's going to hurt. And so we're just like shooting our paintballs around the corner and we're just like, fuck, what do we do? Like it was a no win situation. It's like one of those moments from a movie where you have to like make a bold run. You have to just like shock them by running out, like, you know, getting out of your cover and just running straight for them. Well, this kid, like, cause the way, the, the way the rules worked were if you got shot by a paintball, but it didn't break on you, you got to stay in the game. If you get hit by a paintball and it breaks on you and you can see the paint, you're out. You're dead. But uh, this kid who I was with, the, the same kid from the school play who snitched about those other things, I can tell he's getting freaked out because it, it was freaky. Like, yeah, we're not going to die. We're playing a game, but we're cornered. Like, this is what it feels like to be cornered and to have like five people. You know, you're facing certain death, basically. You're in a foxhole. All of a sudden, I noticed though, this kid next to me, he hadn't been shot. He had been hiding behind the wall for a while. He had not been shot once. And when you get shot, you're supposed to put your arms up. You put your arms up above your head so that way people know that you're leaving the game. All of a sudden, I'm looking at him and he hasn't been shot. And he just throws his arms up and walks away. And I was like, he just gave up. He didn't even get shot. He just quit. He left me by myself against five or six other people. You pussy. How dare you? <laughs> I think about it though and I'm like, that fits his entire pattern of behavior. Telling his mom about everything and then fucking giving up? How dare you do that, man? And once he did that, I was like, well, I'm, I'm fucking dead. And so I just like, went around the corner and got shot. But I wanted to go out like a man. I wasn't a man. I was a little boy. I was a 13 year old, but like, I wanted to at least, if I'm going to, if I'm going to leave the game, I want to be, I want to feel it. You know, I, I want to feel the paintball hit me. But it's interesting that that's a pattern of behavior with this kid. And I picked up on it right away. And I knew then that like this kid, he's, he's like kind of a friend. He's like the kind of kid where like you might go to his birthday or he might go to yours, but you're not going to hang out with him most of the time. Like you're not really going to call each other. It's just a, some, a kid you hang out with sometimes. I knew then though, that like this is not a kid that you can do anything with. He will tell his mom. He will tell somebody. He is a snitch. He is a rat. He doesn't know what it is to have like honor among boys. You couldn't do a prank call with him. You couldn't do anything. 
He's terrified of doing the wrong thing. He's terrified of doing the wrong thing, as we all are, I guess. I guess for me, though, like my, my mindset growing up was just like, I don't want to get in trouble and I don't want to do anything that bad. But I want to break some rules because that's fun. And I always, it's always, I always feel like a, I've learned something or gained something. Like, like boys earn their own merit badges. I never went to Boy Scouts. That shit seemed too weird. But boys earn merit badges around each other. Like every time that one of your friends did a prank, you, you saw, it's like an invisible, an, an invisible badge appeared on his chest. It's like, oh, he's capable of doing that in front of the boys. There was a New Year's party that we went to. It was for the millennium. It was for the year 2000. The parents were all drinking and the parents were like, hey, maybe since it's the millennium, since it's now it's, it's, it's midnight on the year 2000, we should give the kids some champagne. And all the parents were for it. We were all 14 years old, but the parents were like, yeah, why don't we give them a little bit of champagne? It's the year 2000 now. That, that made a lot of sense to me, and I wanted the champagne. But this fucking, this girl's parents were, were there, and they were like, we don't think that we should be encouraging drinking, underage drinking among the kids. And that nixed it. Fuck them. Fuck them. Seriously. Fuck them. Think about how cool of a memory that would be. If like me and some of my friends and all of our parents had drank champagne at midnight on the year 2000. That would have been awesome. But this girl's parents were like, we, don't, we shouldn't encourage underage drinking. And that one nay was enough to stop everybody from doing it. Well, this kid we were with. I didn't really know him. He, he went to our school my entire life, but he wasn't a good friend of mine, but he was there. We're all kind of disappointed because we we're like, we thought we were going to get a drink. And I don't think any of us had been drunk by that point in our lives. So we probably would have gotten fucked up on one glass of champagne. Well, we go outside. Like we, after that, we're kind of disappointed. We're like, let's get out of this party. Let's go wander around. So we went outside and we go over to this kind of woodsy area near the house and this one kid who was there, he like opens up his uh, jacket and there's a beer bottle. I think there was just one. Maybe there was two, but I think he just took one. And he was like, well, I took this. And I was like, that's good thinking. While we were all pissing, you know, while we were all getting pissed off because like they took our champagne away from us. Our champagne opportunity was taken away from us. That kid was smart. He was sneaking off to the side, reaching in the cooler, taking a beer. And the three of us, another four of us, we, we, we all shared this beer together. And just to show you what fucking idiots we were, we acted like we were kind of drunk. Like we each had a quarter of a single beer. I think it was a Red Hook. We each drank a quarter of a single beer. You know, maybe we caught a buzz, though. You know, I don't know. These sober little bodies and minds. But, you know, more than that, like, 
what made us not sober was like the excitement and the secrecy of it. Like even if that quarter of a beer didn't get us drunk or buzzed, we got an adrenaline spike. We were doing something we weren't supposed to be doing, which was drinking. Kind of in, a, in retaliation for that lady saying we couldn't drink after all the other parents wanted us to. But like, I think what got us high was like, yeah, maybe a tiny bit of alcohol, maybe a tiny bit. Maybe we felt the tiniest thing, but it was the excitement. And then the fact that like the four of us together were like, yeah, we're going to do this thing we're not supposed to do in the bushes, basically, which sounds really bad, but now we're going to do this thing we're not supposed to do over in the cover of darkness in the yard and the adults will be none the wiser, but we'll feel like we did something at least and we'll be excited about it. Doing things like that is important. Like sneaking out is another one. When you had a sleepover at someone's house, it was a rite of passage to sneak out. You didn't do it every time, but a lot of the time, depending on the friend's house. My best friend, his, his, his room was in the basement of his house. It was a finished basement. And right above his bed was a window like i said this was in the basement so the window was street level so you just got up on the bed opened the window and easily climbed through it onto the street onto the driveway which led to the street like his parents room was upstairs on the opposite side of the house so we could just open this window and go wander they would have no idea and so we would do that all the time he had a park across the street we'd just wander around there are some kids, though, where you couldn't do that with them. Like these kids that I'm talking about who tell their mom everything and snitch you out. You know, and is it dangerous for little boys to be sneaking outside and running around? Yeah, it's dangerous if something bad happens. You know, it's dangerous if something bad happens. Uh, but if something bad doesn't happen, well, hey, it's a rite of passage. It's fun. It's adventure. You're doing something you're not supposed to do. And uh, I have to say, though, I think I know that I've talked about this before, but uh, there is a redemption arc to that kid who snitched all the time. And with, I have to say, too, he wasn't a snitch in the sense that he was trying to get people in trouble, I don't think. He just couldn't resist, like, telling adults what we were up to. I don't think he had any intention of ever getting anybody in trouble. But, hey, what the path to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Like, he wasn't trying to get people in trouble, but by doing that, he was getting people in trouble. By telling his mom every fucking thing the boys did. And he had an older brother, too. Like, I didn't have an older brother. I didn't have a dad in my house. I didn't have an older figure, male figure who schooled me on, on what it's like to be a boy or a man. I think it's just kind of intuitive. Like this kid had an older brother and a dad at home, and yet he's the biggest fucking pussy in the world, snitching everybody out. But he did have kind of a redemption story, and it kind of ties into the jackass stuff. Because, uh, you know, a big part of jackass that I wasn't into, of jackass, a big part of jackass that I wasn't into was like the shit stuff. Like they got really into like shit humor. 
literal bathroom humor as I drop my phone. Never been amused by it. I'm very grossed out by bodily functions. And I've never really been that amused by them. So like that aspect of Jackus where it's like, we're going to dive into a giant pile of shit while shitting, blah, blah. I hate to even joke like that, to be honest. But we had this sleepover. It was, it was a kid's birthday party. It was actually the cameraman. If you remember the cameraman who was there for the uh, I'm going to kill you walk through the elementary school, he had a birthday party and like a bunch of boys were there and we we all stayed the night. And naturally, what the fuck do boys do when they're when there's like 10 of them at a sleepover? We're coming up with pranks. Like earlier that night, I pranked these girls who were there. It was one of the first boy-girl parties. It was one of the first parties where like girls came to one of my friend's parties and we watched a movie as boys and girls. We watched the movie It. Oh, the clown movie. We watched It. And because boys are pranksters, I came up with the idea. Because there's a part where like It's head comes out of the sink as a balloon and pops. And that gave me the idea because I'm at a birthday party and there's balloons everywhere. So I took a white balloon and I drew a scary clown face on it. I drew my best interpretation of it. Pennywise, Pennywise is his name. Pennywise. And so I drew this clown face on a balloon and I was like, I'm going to stick this and it fit perfectly in the toilet with the lid closed. So like I stuck the balloon in the toilet face up. So the clown's face was staring out and I closed the lid knowing that like a girl was going to be the next one to use it. Like girls use the, use the bathroom way more. So like I, I planned it. So I was like, oh, I want a girl to find this. And, like, sure enough, a girl went in there and, like, I think she screamed, but, like, not really, you know. It's, like, it, it didn't have the, it didn't have, it, you know, it wasn't an amazing trick. I think the idea was better than the execution. Like, oh, hey, because the thing was watching it with a bunch of girls and we're all kids. You know, there's nothing sexual going on at that age. We're young. But all the girls were, like, acting super scared of the movie and the boys were laughing and acting tough. So it played into like the girls acting really scared. So like one of them would go to the bathroom and there would be this clown balloon in the toilet. A girl came across it, screamed or something, but that was it. But the girls left and then like, I mean, you could see I was already in the pranking spirit at the party. But during the sleepover, what are we doing? We're up all night. What pranks can we do in the neighborhood? And there was a construction zone down at the bottom of the hill, not a residential construction. It was some sort of construction going on at like a, an empty property or in the woods or something. And so they had left behind a cat or whatever. They had left behind like a tractor, a yellow, whatever the fuck those things are, like a construction vehicle. And we were like, we got to do something to that. There's this like empty construction vehicle just right down the street. Like, cause you could climb on it. You could sit in it. It was one of those where like the chair and the controls are completely exposed. Someone, not me, came up with the idea. We should rub shit on it. 
We should rub we should rub feces on the seat of that tractor. And someone came up with the idea. And uh, the next question, I guess, was like, who has to take a shit? And sure enough, it's the little, uh, the snitch. The snitch from the musical. The guy who left me behind in the paintball arena. He's like, I have to shit. And so they give him a, a plastic grocery bag, like one of those ones that has handles on each side. And he pulls down his pants in front of us, which is crazy. Like, I never hung out with people who did things like that, like pulling your pants down in front of other guys. I guess he, he I mean, this is the kid who told on us for, for the mooning plan. And he just pulls his pants down in front of everybody else. We didn't see his dicky or anything, but like he pulls down his pants and then he has a hand on each side of the bag holding each handle, but he's holding the bag behind him. And he like pulls the handles up around his waist so that the bag's just like cupping his ass. And then he starts straining in front of us on the deck. Like he's, he's like, he's like trying to take a shit in front of us. And somebody, I think me probably, I was like, go in the bathroom and like put the bag in the toilet and do it. Like, don't stand here with a bag, holding a bag up to your ass, shitting in front of us. Go in the bathroom, put the bag in the toilet and shit in the bag that way. And so he did that. And he comes out and like, I didn't look at what was in there, but he shit in a bag but he doesn't want to rub it on the the tractor or the construction vehicle. So another friend of mine was like, I'll do it. And I remember I remember watching him run down the hill in the dark of night, holding this bag, like he's holding it way out from his body. You know, he obviously barely wants to touch this thing. And he's running with this thing like way held out. And we see him go down to the tractor. And like I said, like the, the seat was like this leather seat completely exposed to the elements. Like you could just walk up and sit in it. You could sit on the seat. You could play around with the controls. Like you would need a key to operate it, obviously. But you could like just sit there and be like, yeah, I'm sitting on the construction tractor. Well, uh, my buddy, he runs down there. He like grabs the bottom of the bag turns it upside down and then he realizes though that it's like he's going to have to like smear it so he like like very gingerly like takes the bag from the bottom and he just like smears it across the the seat and then he runs back and we're all just laughing you know we're like we did it we came up with a plan <laughs> you know we we came up with this outlandish idea like what are we going to do oh maybe we should do something to that tractor should we rub shit on it? I don't know who came up with that idea, but like we did it. And so that kid redeemed himself. The kid who shit in the bag, like, well, that's not my kind of, like, I'm not into doing anything like that. Like, I don't condone that. I like pranks. I like clean pranks. I don't like anything involving bodily fluids or substances, anything like that. That said, his willingness to shit in a bag that's going to be used to desecrate construction equipment that's a redemption arc. I still didn't trust him. 
I don't think he told his mom about that, I don't think. But that's a redemption arc if I've ever heard of one. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free. So take.